Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the .NET on AWS show. I'm your host, Brandon Minnick, and with me, as always, is the amazing Francois. Francois, how's your Hello. week? Hello. Um, I'm Richard. Uh, as you know, I was off last week, so I'm fully Richard, and um, uh, it, it is important because it's a, the last room, three weeks, so it's, it is a sprint. Uh, to reinvent because reinvent LBS reinvent in, in three weeks. So I can't wait to be there uh, in Las Vegas uh, to meet all the folks who, who will come to uh, reinvent. Um, that's always the, this moment of the year or where we can feel the energy of uh, the community and uh, gather all together uh, to 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 discover a lot of new things because you will learn a lot of things at reInvent. So energized. And what about you? How are you? I'm doing well. I, I too, well, no, I guess the opposite. <laughs> I was on the road for three weeks. Um, so I feel more energized today because I got back about a week ago. Uh, but yeah, it takes a little while to recharge after uh, doing a three-week uh, work trip. But it was so great seeing everybody. Uh, spoke at some amazing conferences like Tecorama in the Netherlands and NDC Porto in Portugal and Sweetug in Gothenburg. And hopefully we'll be back again next year. But uh, things are good. Things are good. You know, it's time change in the US, which is this silly thing that nobody likes it, but we still do it because somebody passed the law 100 years ago. But we're, we're struggling through it today. We've got Lakshmi in the comments uh, saying she, she hopes the DST changes will be good too. Uh, and, um, but yeah, no, there's, uh, like you mentioned, two, two big conferences coming up. If you live in the .NET on AWS world, one is reInvent, like you mentioned, Francois, where it's, it's the biggest conference I've ever been to full stop. <laughs> I've yeah. never been to one bigger. Uh, it's really incredible. I can't wait to be back again this year. And there's also .NET Conf coming up next week. So yep. this means .NET 8 is coming out on Monday. So that's Monday, November 13th. And yep. we get all the goodies. So on the, on the open source side, on the library side, for the libraries I maintain, like the .NET MAUI community toolkits, we just went through a whole push. We've updated everything to Dynet 8. We've updated our pipelines. So we're, we're ready. We're hopefully going to be, or we will be launching our, our .NET 8 support same day. But stay tuned, everybody, because .NET Conf is great. It's three days of just live streaming all day about .NET. And I'll show you all the new goodies in .NET 8. And who knows? I might even be there too. I, somebody somebody reached out and said, we might have a spot if you want to come on and talk about the .NET Maui Community Toolkit. I said, sure. Haven't heard anything back yet, but maybe I'll be there as well. So two big conferences, .NET Conf, AWS reInvent. Hopefully we'll see you both. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for reInvent, I just want to highlight that we... We have uh, seven sessions dedicated for .NET developers. So really, if if you are if you, co you are coming at reInvent and you are a .NET developer, uh, the one I, I would recommend is the one from uh, Norm Johansson. Norm Johansson is our kind of go-to person when it comes to .NET on AWS. He's there for more than thirty years now. Uh, he he has built the .NET SDK. He has built the AWS toolkit for Visual Studio. And um, is uh, delivering. Uh, uh, he will deliver an awesome conference about uh, performance and how to get the most of performance for, from your .NET uh, apps uh, and AWS SDK for .NET. So, uh, I really recommend her his conference. And there are also other conference on how to modernize your .NET application from mono, uh, monolithic app, uh, architecture to a microservice architecture, um, or to add AI capabilities to your .NET application or generative AI capabilities. So I really encourage you to to go to those uh, seven uh, dedicated sessions for .NET developers. Yes, yeah, I feel like with with Norm Johansson, uh, he's one of the few people where when, when he talks, the .NET world listens. It's kind of like when, uh, like if Scott Hunter gives a talk, like everybody's showing up to see what the latest on .NET is. Uh, same, with, same with Norm. So 
Hopefully we'll see you there. But Francois, we've got an amazing guest this week. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Cecil Phillip to the show. Cecil, welcome. Hey, everybody. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Cecil, for folks who haven't met you yet, who are you and what do you do? Sure. So, hey, folks, my name is Cecil Phillip. Uh, I have been in the .NET community for a long time. Um, I want to say, I think I've been doing .NET since I left college. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's just kind of the space I've, I've been in. So as you could obviously tell, like it's, it's, it's been great for me and I love being here. And met a lot of great folks like, like Brandon. Me and Brandon used to work together in a past uh, work life. And uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of me a little bit. Um, I work at Stripe right now as a developer advocate. So right now I spend a lot of time helping not just .NET folks, but people in general understand what it actually means to process money in your applications. Like, you know, what the movement of money looks like, talking about compliance and just some architectural things that you should probably consider as well. Um, Other than that, um, you know, I live in Florida. Hey, Florida folks. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, just really excited to be here and to talk to you guys about, about .NET. Yeah, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, we were talking before the show, and Cecil's going to show off some really cool demos about uh, building out Stripe backends and .NET and ASP.NET Core. Um, but Cecil, you kind of alluded to it already, and there, but there's really one question we like to ask all our guests is, um, like, what's, what's your origin story? How did you get started into .NET, and how would that get you to where you are today? Yeah, it's, it's a funny story, because um, I think I've, I've had like a, a semi-non-traditional path, right? Because when I tell folks, oh, well, I did this. Isn't this normal? Oh, no, that's not normal at all. Like, that's not what everyone does. <laughs> um, so so I grew up in the Caribbean, you know, born and raised in Antigua, St. John's Antigua. And, you know, my first introduction to computing was, you know, one day my dad, you know, swapped his typewriter for a compact presario, right? And so he brings a compact home and he's playing with the thing. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, your parents' machine, right? So obviously me as like the kid in the house, like you can't touch it. So obviously what I do, I wait till he goes to bed and I turn it on, right? <laughs> I'm playing, and I'm playing with the thing. Um, and so I think that for me just kind of just got me super interested in like being in computing, right? And now like, I'll go to college, but in going to college, I had a very different perspective of what computing was, right? Because for me, you know, this was like the solitaire machine and like the things that you wrote papers on and like, printed things so it was like play games and print papers like that's what computing was <laughs> my perspective so when i said hey i wanted to get into computing my thought was i was going to go home after college and i was going to learn how to like fix printers and you know plug in cables and stuff right because that's what again from my perspective that's what they did right and then now i just you know obviously being in a different country and you know being in the field and talking to professors and different folks going to career fairs and all this types of stuff you kind of learn oh wow i can do more stuff with computers than just like plugging in cables and printers um and then you know over time i just you know somehow i ended up with like a dotnet book cuz you know i was learning java and someone told me hey well you know as a real as a real developer you should know like four five six languages at the same time and be able to juggle in between them and I was like, okay, well, .NET's similar to Java, and I'm doing Java. I'll just, I'll just learn the thing. H- happens to be like my first job coming out of college was, you know, building ASP.NET web forms, and yeah, I just, I just kind of been doing that ever since, man. Like, started going to communities, um, uh, .NET Miami, you know, Florida.NET, different user groups, um, uh, OneTug, which is the Orlando.NET user group. Um, visit them, you know, whenever I get a chance to go up to Orlando, um, and just kind of going around to different, you know, user groups and stuff. And that turned into me speaking at conferences and turned into me, you know, being more active on social media. And after a while now, it's like, oh, hey, you could do this .NET thing, right? Do you want to come be an advocate? And I'm just like, you pay people to do this? I didn't know that. I've been doing this, <laughs> I've been doing this for free for like years. Like, even like, what am I doing, right? Um, and again, so now I've just kind of like gone through that process of, you know, just kind of being in .NET, but like just from different spaces. Um, you know, at one point in time, I used to, so I used to work in education. You know, my first job was actually working at a university. So building backend systems for, you know, managing grades. I wrote an application once that like manages the workflow of like a thesis for PhD students, which was kind of cool. Um, 
but then you know left that i used to work in hr i used to write tax software which is not tremendously riveting as you can imagine <laughs> um, all the exciting things well you know i mean everything has its you know everything has its like charm to it you know what i mean and then uh you know, I wrote uh, stock trading software for a little while, again, using .NET and Singular and a lot of backend stuff. And then, uh, and then yeah, and then ended up Microsoft. And then now I'm at Stripe where, you know, I'm doing mainly like payment processing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so cool. I love, so one of the reasons why we love asking is just you know, everybody comes from these different backgrounds. And like you said, Cecil, we, because it's our life and it's our lived experience, we always assume like, oh yeah, this is, Totally normal. This is what everybody else did, right? Uh, and so I, I love hearing everybody's uh, different backgrounds, different origin stories. Because uh, too many times I've I've met people that like oh, I'd, I'd love to learn .NET and learn how to code, but it's too hard. Or I wasn't good at math in high school, so I can't learn to code. And it's like no, <laughs> trust me. There's plenty of people who are bad at math and are successful developers. So uh, you know, but- it's funny you say that because. So I feel like my learning journey and probably the similar for other folks, like my learning journey wasn't like this, right? Like it was like this, it was like a wave, right? Like I had highs and lows. And I say that because like in high school, like I wasn't good at math in high school, but funny enough, I was really good at math in college. Cause I don't know, maybe it was a change of scenery. Maybe it was just being somewhere else. Right. But like, you know, if, if that was the case, like I would have been like, Oh man, I'm no good at math in high school. I should never, look into engineering and I should never look into computing or anything like that. Right. But like, I still found like it was something I was really attracted to. And I'm like, well, I'm going to just do it anyway. You know what I mean? And I'll let, you know, I'll let the universe figure it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think, and I, I think one of the things that we're seeing now, and it's probably more evident now than it was before, like there's so many different spaces for everybody. You know what I mean? Like you can be a .NET person and focus on UI. You can focus on mobile. You can do web stuff. You can do data science with .NET. You can do cloud computing. You could, you could write stock trading software, right? Like there's so many just different spaces you could be. Um, or you can maybe not even write software at all, right? Like maybe you, you know, you want to be a, a PM or designer or anything of the sort, but then still participate in the community. So um, yeah, I, I think I think some of those narratives that our generation was was pushed at, you know what I mean? You gotta learn math, you gotta do physics and whatever. And that's fine. It's fine to know stuff. You know what I mean? I'm always a big proponent of education. But then there's, I don't, I don't usually think that there's a requirement for success, right? Other than like commitment and perseverance, right? Like if you want to do it, then just do it. Like commit to it and do it. And then, you know, again, like the universal deck just figure itself out. Love it. Wise, wise words. Yeah. So, Cecil, circling back to Stripe, we're going to be showing off some really cool demos today and we're going to be learning all about how to add payment processing and identity to our app. But uh, before we get into it, what is Stripe? Yeah, I think a lot of folks, for folks that don't know what Stripe is, Stripe is essentially um, uh, a company that allows developers, allows companies to integrate payment processing and money movement, money management inside of their applications, right? So if you can think about some of the most fundamental use cases, such as, hey, I want to... And I want to sell flowers or I want to, you know, I want to sell a thing online. Maybe you have a service or, you know, maybe you're in college and you're reviewing, um, what's that thing they call? Reviewing papers or, you know, maybe you're selling, let me not say that. Maybe you're selling stuff, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> you might want to put up a very simple website, but now you're like, oh man, well, I got to process credit cards. I got to think about bank accounts. Um, if you're not in the United States, that there are other payment methods that are a lot more popular, right? They have some things called, you know, deferred payment methods where, you know, hey, well, I might pay you now, but it might take a day or two or maybe a couple hours before my bank approves that transaction or maybe I need to go somewhere to confirm it, right? Like I have different currencies I need to think about, different taxes, right? All of these different things when it comes to just being like, hey, can I buy the thing that you want to sell me? You know what I mean? And so for a lot of developers, that is a... That's a scary thing to think about, right? I, I like to, you know, on the scale of like scary, I like to think that there's security because developers are really afraid of security, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm serious. Like, and folks in the chat tell me, like, developers are scared of dealing with security things. Authentication, you think about OAuth and all the different OAuth schemes. You think about cryptography and, oh my gosh, are they going to hack my thing? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, 
you know, dealing with SSL certificates, like these, this is, that's stressful. Like it's up here. And then there's payments. Stressed out just talking about it, man. <laughs> right. But the security and then there's payments, right. In terms of like the things that really give us like developer anxiety. And so, you know, one of the things that Stripe does is like try to make that a lot more of an easier experience for you. You know, obviously we have, you know, APIs and SDKs and different services and stuff like that, that you can plug into. And what that does is that it kind of pushes the more of the responsibility onto the side of Stripe or, you know, your payment processor than it does on you. So as an example, some of the things that you don't have to really think about as much is like PCI compliance. And if folks have never heard about, you know, PCI compliance, essentially it's, it's really just like a, a group of organizations that kind of came together and they're like, okay, well, if we're going to do these online transactions, particularly when it comes to credit cards, there are a certain amount of rules and restrictions like, you know, that you have to adhere to, to, to be compliant. Right. And so, you know, the last thing that you want to do is get audited and find out you're not being compliant or, you know, you're not processing <laughs> money the same way. You're not storing money the right way. You know, you have to think about GDPR and storing, you know, PII and all the acronyms that I could come up with. Right. Like, mm-hmm. again, it's scary. Like it's here. Right. So I don't, I don't want to think about that as much. More so I want to do is, hey, Rodney, you want to come to my site or my, my mobile application or, you know, whatever the case is. And I want to be able to say, hey, I want to accept money from you. How can I do that? What is the easiest way for me to do that? And again, I want like, you know, the people that are good at doing that to do that. And then let me focus on what my core business is. Right. And I think that's what I think with any tool, like that's what developers want. Right. Like if you have a business, if you have a you know, whatever your domain is, like you want to focus on that, right? If I'm in education or stock trading, or if I'm, I don't know, I'm selling, I'm selling water bottles or whatever the case is, right? Like that's my focus. My focus shouldn't be infrastructure and it shouldn't be PCI compliance and GDPR and all the other stuff, right? Like I just, I just want to, I just want to have my business, right? Kind of get to it. So Stripe kind of helps you do that um, in a couple of, couple of different ways. Um, So that's the high level of what Stripe is. Um, some of the things that we can do to make things easier for you, like I mentioned before, we have SDKs, we have hosted services, and I'll show you what some of our hosted services look like. Um, but then we also have like on a, on a deeper level, right? Like outside of just spending money, what if you wanted to, you know, what if you wanted to run a franchise as an example, right? So now it's not just one company. It's like, you know, I guess the core home platform, I guess you could call it. But then now I have like other folks that are attached to me as well. Like, how do I, how does that accounting happen? You know what I mean? And then how do I do that across the border? Right. And how do I, again, deal with taxes and, and how do I deal with um, fraud detection across the border? Right. Like all of these different things you have to think about. And so now we started to go down into like the more, um, the more involved products and offerings that we have. Cool. Well, where should we get started? Well, why don't I, so why don't we go ahead and share my screen and I could give you a quick conversation around this demo that I'm showing. And what I'll do is like, as we talk about it, like I'll run through some of the components that, that happen, right? And if folks have questions, um, go ahead and, you know, obviously drop them in the chat. Let me know. Um, I know we could always like pause for a minute and kind of talk through it. So, um, so this is a fictitious company. I just want to make that clear because if anyone sees <laughs> this name somewhere and it's copyrighted, like don't don't come at me, right? Like this is not a real thing. Um, I created this fictitious company it's called Oasis Hubs, right? Now Oasis Hubs is a platform that offers uh, monthly subscriptions where you could say, hey, maybe maybe you're a digital nomad, maybe you're you know you work from home and you don't have an office, right? I want to be able to book co-working spaces or or just a workspace where I can go you know, on the fly and, you know, just kind of have a place to work. Now, one of the things that's, this is different from like WeWork or something like that is that, you know, if you go to a WeWork, like you go to like a WeWork facility, you go to a WeWork building and then, you know, you have your monthly subscription and whatever the case is, right? But you're paying WeWork, right? Like you're paying that single place. One of the differences with Oasis Hubs is that, well, instead, this is more like an Airbnb type model, right? So Francois might have a place in France and Brandon might have a place in California, right? And I'm like, okay, well, hey, as I'm traveling, because, you know, I'm a developer advocate, right? Like we, you know, we spend a lot of time on airplanes. As I'm traveling, I might say, hey, you know, while I'm in, you know, while I'm in France, while I'm in that side of the world, I might want to, um, I want to book Francois's place or I want to book, you know, Brandon's place when I'm on the West Coast, 
right? And so now I can kind of come in and I could search for some of these different listings and I can say, okay, well, I want to book this for like two hours today or three hours today or whatever the case is. Now with your subscription, you get a certain amount of hours, right? Every month. And then with those hours, you're going to get like a monthly invoice that gets charged to you. Now, if you go over your hours, well, obviously we're going to have to charge you some more money, right? So uh, your invoice, now you can have like overages, right? So we have to think about well, what does it mean to have deal with overages and stuff like that. But that's essentially what it is, right? Like, so it's like Airbnb and WeWork and like we kind of put them together and they had a baby and they created always. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hopefully, hopefully that use case makes sense. But like the main thing I want to show up is a couple of things. One, how can we create like these um, attached accounts to this main account? And then also too, I wanted to show you a little bit about how we could do like invoicing and invoicing over time. And then also what it kind of looks like when um, it's time to like, you know, pay, you know, pay these folks out, right? Like you want to give them their money. So first thing that I'm going to do, so I think I'm signing already. I'm going to sign out super quick. So default experience, not a lot happening here. Um, I am going to sign in as a, uh, as a host, right? So there's two kinds of accounts. There's a host account, right? So the person that's hosting the property, right? And then there's like the main account, right? Or like a guest. So I'm going to sign in as a host, and I'm going to show you what mine looks like super quick. Now, these are all fake emails and things of that nature. So that's at test.com. You can probably guess what that password is. It's only four characters. <laughs> right. Now, as I'm signed in, you'll notice that you know I have my dashboard. You know, I, mean, I can come in, I can click on my dashboard. I can see some of my different listings, right? So you know, my co-working space, things of that nature. I can see the different tiers for them, right? so on and so forth and you know you can add listings and things of that nature right like nothing super crazy happening here this is just like management for stuff now i'm going to sign out as this person i'm going to sign in as like a regular user so i'm going to sign in as ben now there's actually a reason why the person's name is ben but i'm going to i'm going to get to that in a little bit now when we sign in as ben i want you to notice that the top bar is a little bit different Right, like I no longer have the dashboard, but I can become a host, and I also have a portal. Right now, this is one of the the places that you know Stripe kind of helps you with the the managed experience, right? Because one of the things that you might want to do is, hey, as you're signing into my service, you might want to manage, you might want to manage your credit cards, you might want to manage your subscriptions, right? And usually, what we have to do as developers is we have to build all of that out. Well, I'm lazy. I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> Just being honest about things, I'm lazy. So one of the things that Stripe offers is a hosted management portal for customers. So if I click on this super quick, and this is, again, this is all running in test mode. So you know, don't feel like you're gonna get my money or anything like that. Right, <laughs> this is what the hosted Stripe um, customer portal looks like. And it's very straightforward, right? Like, so here's my credit card. Like, so it already has, you know, my credit card information in here. Um, I can add a an additional payment method if I wanted to. So if I wanted to add a credit card, if I wanted to add uh, Google Pay, if I was using Safari, this wouldn't say Google Pay, it would actually say Apple Pay, because again, Stripe, Stripe is very aware of the context, right? Obviously, Google Pay works in Google browsers and Apple Pay works in Safari. So I think that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, you can add different, you can add back accounts and different types of things if you wanted to. But again, this is all hosted. Now, why is this important? Because obviously, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to put in financial information, right? Now, unless you have, you know, the right levels of compliance, financial information should not be hitting your server. It should not be touching your app. It should not be hitting your server unless you have, like, certain levels of compliance. So what you'll notice, I don't know if you can see, like, the top bar, but it says billing.stripe.com. So what I've done is that I've redirected to Stripe, and Stripe's going to manage all of this payment information for me. Never touches your server. So you're not technically responsible for this, right? So if there's an issue, if you get compromised, if there's any problems, right, you never had this payment information. Instead, what you get back are like tokens, representations of the payment method, representations of the data. But I don't actually have your data. I don't actually have your credit card or bank account or, or Google Pay, Apple Pay information, right? Like this all lives in Stripe, so you don't have to worry about it. So again, just like one of the things that we do from a compliance perspective. Just a quick question, Cecil, just to um, really understand what you're saying. So if I can make a parallel. So it's like if we are using a third-party identity provider for when we 
we don't want to manage our yeah. uh, identity. We are using a third, third party identity provider. So here, what you're saying, it's exactly the same. You don't have to manage uh, bank information. Like when we are using a third party identity provider, we don't have to manage password and stuff like this. They all do this for us. So here, all the bank information, the credit card information, you all manage this for, for us. Yeah, the same. That's, that's, that, is, that would be a really good analogy. Exactly, right? So just like you said, if I was using uh, Okta Auth0, whatever, another thing, right? Um, Cognito, right? Like yeah. that stuff lives with somebody else, right? And now we're just interacting with APIs. We're making calls. We're using SDKs to get that information, right? But at least that we have that assurance that the security of that is managed by somebody else and not you. Because again, like like my business is not in, you know, my business is not in the business of storing bank information, right? <laughs> like I'm in the business of like <clears throat> renting office space, right? So again, like this is what I want to focus on, right? I'm gonna let Stripe take care of the other stuff for me. So so hopefully that makes sense. All right, let's go back to the main dashboard. So at least I wanted to show you that that was a thing that we had available. Now let's go back to see how this application is actually running. Now if I try to click search, right? Usually if I click search, it should show me like a listing or a bunch of listings from the properties that are available, but it's not doing that because, well, I don't have a subscription, right? Um, for folks that kind of want to get into the details a little bit, in the back end, what I'm using is ASP.NET Core um, authorization policies. So I'm going to say, hey, if you don't have a subscription as a policy, I'm going to deny you and I'm going to redirect you to the subscription page instead. So that's kind of what's happening in the background. Obviously, you could do that with however you, whatever logic you want, but like that's essentially what's happening, right? So if I don't have an active subscription, I don't have that permission, right? I'm using claims. If folks are familiar with claims and claims principles, if you don't have that claim, I'm going to send you back over here to the subscription page. Now, I have three different types of subscriptions, you know, basic, standard, premium. Again, this is just a demo. You can click which one you want, really doesn't matter. But what's going to happen now is that when I click on this, again, Redirect me back to Stripe. I'm going to control plus this a little bit because I think that text is a little small. But what, what's happening now is I've gone back over to Stripe. Why is that the case? Well, this is your payment page. This is like your checkout page, right? I am trying to buy a subscription. And so what I'm doing on the left side, or what you're seeing on the left side, is like the cost of subscription. So again, this is $120 a month. But then notice how it always also has like this price varies, right? Now, why is that the case? Because after you pass your 10 hours a month or whatever your allotted hours are for the month, then we have to start charging you for the overages, right? It's kind of like, um, I'm sure if you look at an AWS service like SQS or I think you all have a RabbitMQ service or something like that, like you get a certain amount of messages per month, right? And you might have like a fee for that, right? Once you go over that, that allotment, then you have to pay extra, right? Like you have to start paying for the additional fees on top of that, like the overages. So this is how we handle overages, right? Like, so now under here, you'll say for the first 10, so first 10 hours, right? Because this is already paid here, but anything after 11 hours and after, you're going to be paying $1.20 per hour. Super cheap, right? So you should definitely come and rent businesses from me because, you know, I'm very economical. So... <laughs> But the main thing is here, I want you to see, hey, we can handle subscriptions because, again, these are monthly recurring invoices. And we'll see that in a second. But we have the monthly recurring invoices. I can add promotion codes, discounts. All these types of things can be done here. And then on the right side, notice now I have the ability to, I can put in my payment information. You know, again, I could save it and all this other types of stuff. So let's go ahead and I'm going to just activate a subscription, right? So if folks are, have ever done, credit card things before um 424242 42, 42, all the way down to the end this is a magic <laughs> card number right um and in stripe and just in many other payment processors they're magic card numbers and um what those do is like they allow you to have like these different um they offer different scenarios based on what you're trying to test at the time 4242 42, 42 just means that it was a successful transaction we have cards that have insufficient balance maybe or denied or this card was stolen. You know what I mean? And so now how does your backend react to that, right? So again, like, so we have these cards that you could use to test out different scenarios. Also, I want folks to notice this is running in test mode. I'm not, this is not real money, 
please don't take that card and try and put it into Walmart or Amazon and try and buy some stuff. It will not work for you. And don't tell them I gave it to you because I did not. Okay. <laughs> you had a question? Someone's going to ask something? No? Okay. Yeah, go for it. So I'm going to, I'm just going to click off some of these things. I'm going to go ahead and hit uh, process. And uh, this is going to process. It's going to do some stuff. Um, essentially what's happening right now is that it's actually pinging Stripe. Um, it's going to say, hey, this customer wants these things, process the credit card payment. It's going to redirect me back to my website. Notice now if you look at the top, I'm back to localhost, right? So I was at checkout.stripe.com. Now I'm back to localhost. But then it sends me back to the page. It even sends like a little session um, query string item. So if I wanted to, like, I can pull that into my page and I could, you know, I can query the status of what happened. Again, was it a successful payment? Was it denied? Is it still processing, right? Because sometimes payments take a little while, right? It might not happen in the, I don't know, the two seconds it took for me to press the button, right? So I might have to wait a while before I actually activate your subscription, right? So again, some of the things that you might want to probably think about. Now, if I go to, let's see if I go back over to the portal, this might not be super exciting, but if I do head back over to the portal, notice now, this is the card I just put in, right? So now in the customer portal, you see I have, I have that additional credit card that I just added. Now, because I did set up a subscription, notice at the top two, Oasis Hubs Premium. This is the subscription that we just added, right? So notice now, again, it's in the customer portal. I don't have to, I don't have to build subscription management into my user dashboard and my user settings page, right? Stripe could just do it for me. Obviously, you have the option to do it if you wanted to, but I'm just saying, if you know, if you're lazy like I am, you don't have to do it, right? You have you have the option, right? And then you could cancel the plan, you can upgrade the plan, you can change the plan, so on and so forth, right? Okay, I'm just clicking through the demo right now. I know folks want to see code. I'm going to show you the code in like two seconds, but I just wanted you to see what this looks like. All right, so I should be able to click search. This might or may not work. Great. So see when I click search, now it takes me to the page because I do have an access of sub active subscription. So I can come in here. I can see what's going on. I can click on the thing, right? What is today? Uh, today is the 6th. I'm just going to click a thing, and it's just me and Brandon and Francois. And let's put it for 12 hours, right, or something like that. And then where's my button? Well, my button's here. My CSS is messed up. <laughs> I promise there's a button here. This is a CSS problem, not a logic problem. But as you can see here, this should say booked, but for some reason, it's in white. Um, I'm going <laughs> to click book. Yo, white and, text, and white background, yeah. UI design. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll put an issue in the GitHub thing, and I'll make sure that, that gets taken care of. Now, so, so that's happened, right? So now I've booked a place. Um, I should have that on my... Uh, I should have that that those hours reported. Like I've reported that I've just used 12 hours, right? Remember my allotment was 10. So now I have 10 hours plus the additional two. So I should have 120 plus 240, right? I think it was 120, so 240, right? The additional two hours for the allotment, right? So that's so think about that as we, we head over to the dashboard to see what this looks like. Now, over in the Stripe dashboard, I'm going to control plus this, control plus this for a little bit. Now, I'm going to head over to customers. Um, we used Ben, right? Benjamin Westminster, right? The reason I picked Benjamin Westminster is because Benjamin is attached to a clock, right? If you know the Westminster clock, Big Ben, right? So hence, that's where the name came from. <laughs> um, Benjamin is attached to a clock, right? And that's going to be interesting because remember, Benjamin, right? He now has a subscription. Here's a subscription he just signed up for, right? This is what the amount is. Right, and now I can click on Benjamin's subscription. Right, I can see the pricing, and notice he reported twelve hours. Right, the ten hours. Right, and you know we we in Stripe we call we just call these units, but it could be whatever you want. You could you could call it ten tokens. You can call it 10, 10 phone calls, ten API calls. You know you can use the same thing if you're doing like API as a service. Right, like every time. You call an API and you you register the usage. You could be like, "Hey, I I call this API a hundred times in the last hour, minute, whatever the case is, right?" And then now, you know, if you're charging people API calls per month, again, you could do a similar thing. So, like, the hour part is not important. It's really just the label. You can change it to minutes. You can change it to to API calls or 
or rides or whatever the case is, right? But again, here you go. So here's the 240, right? 120 times 2, 240, right? That's the invoice that we're expecting to get. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to advance time. We're going to go forward in time a little bit because this invoice closes in a month. Now, I'm not going to sit here and stare at Stripe for a month to wait and see what happens. So what I'm going to do instead is use this thing we have called a test clock. So I can attach a test clock to a customer, and now that customer is not a normal customer now anymore, right? Like that customer is now going to define the laws of time and space. And I'm going to fast forward that customer in time. And so I'm going to move this customer. I can move them like a month ahead as an example, right? And then I can go ahead and I can click advanced time. Now, this is going to, you know, spin and do some stuff in the background. What's happening is that webhook events are actually firing. And we haven't spoken about webhook events, but this entire time I've been running JetBrains Rider. And as we've been clicking and we've been showing stuff, oh, apparently I am not showing the window. I'm sorry. Hold on, folks. Not anymore. Because I, I switched the window and I realized you weren't looking at the same thing that I was looking at, which is horrible. And I <laughs> Okay. This is what, yeah. You can go ahead and pull my screen back up whenever you get a second. So... This was, was running in the background the entire time, right? Like, so when I when I when I che checked off on subscription, um, you get to see it says payment created, subscription updated. Um, now you see I moved time forward, and you might see some events that say stuff like, you know, invoice upcoming, invoice created, you know, so on and so forth. Because again, I'm moving forward in time. But as I move forward in time, those webhook events fire, and they're sending it over to my application where I can now manage those events, you know, however I see fit. Now, I'm going to move this back down as soon as I remember how to do it. Okay. And let's head back over to this thing. So where are we right now? Is our invoice closed? It's not closed yet. It's in draft mode. So draft mode means that... Question? We're still looking at your code. What Did you want to show the browser? This thing is being very strange. I don't know what <laughs> Are you sharing the window or sharing I'm the, sharing the window. I, I, I for sure I'm sharing the window. Yes, I'm definitely sharing the window, but it's not doing the thing I want it to do. Okay, let's try this again. Um, I am... Oh, you know what? Stupid me. Again, you would believe that I know how StreamRoute works. Um, okay, <laughs> here we are. Right, so we're in the thing. Now, after I just showed you those webhook events, right? So, again, as, as things happen in Stripe, like we're going to fire events to your application, and then you can react to them as you as you see fit. And then we'll take a look at what the webhook handling aspect of it looks like in a second. But right now, my invoice is in draft mode. So I need to move it forward a little bit. So I'm just going to, let's just bump this like a week or something like that, just to get a, get it to move. Um, let's, yeah, let's do another week. Now, again, as this is firing, again, you might see that the bottom part jumping a little bit. Again, my webhooks are firing and it's sending information over to my, my local host running application, right? I'll talk a little bit about how that happens in a second. But if I scroll down to the bottom, now the invoice is paid, right? The invoice is paid, but this customer is no longer on November 6th. This customer is now on December 13th, right? Like we've moved forward in time. But because of that, now I can, you know, I can take a look at the events that have happened and I showed you that in a second. You know, I can see the next upcoming invoice that's coming. Um, I haven't reported any hours yet, but my monthly subscription is there. And I can see those past invoices are, are there and they're firing off as well. Right. And then here are all the different events. You know, Ben Attest is the name of the user from Benjamin, as you, as you remember. And then we can kind of see what's happening using those test clocks, which, again, makes it really convenient for us to test stuff out with. Um, I'm going to pause there for a second and see if anyone in the chat has questions. If you guys have anything you want to ask, let me know before I like keep going. Yeah, and so there, there is one uh, question in the chat from GSK BLR asking about uh, payment gateways and APIs. I assume this is asking if, if Stripe provides a, a payment gateway API. Yeah, Stripe does have um, APIs as well as SDKs. Um, so if you head over to stripe.com slash docs slash API, um, we take out that part at the top. So this is our API reference doc. But one of the cool things I like to show off here is like one, you could, you know, you could just do raw curl requests if you wanted to. Let me let me actually go to an API and show you what that looks like. 
Um, so like create customer as an example. So you can just do raw HTTP requests if you wanted to, and we'll show you that example. If I wanted to switch and I wanted to go to .NET, for example, right? It'll switch the demo or it'll switch the code that it's shown, right? Um, and it'll show you how to do it in .NET as well. So again, you could use the raw API, the raw HTTP, you know, get put post uh, verbs, or you could just use one of our various SDKs. And as you can see here, we have, you know, Ruby, Python, PHP, so on and so forth. Now, another way, which might be a little bit related to this and something I, I kind of showed, but I didn't really dive super deep into, is that we also have the Stripe CLI. Now, the Stripe CLI is what's been enabling me to, to grab those events that are happening in outer space and then bring them locally, right? So I'm not using like ngrok or local tunnel or anything like that. I'm just using the Stripe API, right? And so, you know, you can install this with, you know, your favorite thing of choice, right? Like Homebrew or you could just, I don't know, you could curl install it or whatever the case is, right? You have different ways that you can install it. But I'm running this command right now that says stripe listen forward to, right? And so I have the um, I have the the URL local to my machine that I want to have like these different events sent to. So as you can see, I have one that's going to like webhook stripe platform, and I have another one that's going over to connect, right? For different types of events, and I can even filter them out too, right? So I can even do something like dash dash events equal, and now I could say hey. I don't want all the events because we have a lot of them. <laughs> I don't want all the events, but I only want these few to be sent to my machine, right? So again, as you're testing out your local webhook logic, these are the ones that you're going to see. Um, I think it's also important to note that like you're only going to get the ones that are running in test mode. This is not going to send production webhooks to your machine because that might be a little much in general. Even if, you <laughs> even if you filter them out, it might be a little much. So that's... That's one of the things that you want to do. You want to make sure that you're in test mode. And you'll do that by on the dashboard. You know, you'll just have this toggle that, oops, come back. You'll just have this toggle here on the right side that says test mode, you know. And if you know it's you're either in test mode or not in test mode, kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um so hopefully that makes sense. So yeah, so in terms of that particular question, I'm gonna set this thing to go back to running again. So I can continue to get those webhooks. But again, as I was saying, if you want to be able to use you know, use Stripe either locally or whatever the case is. You can use the CLI, you can use curl, or you could grab one of our SDKs for your language of choice, and, and that should be fine as well. Obviously, we're using Stripe.net because it's .NET demo, but again, like we support different languages too. Cool. Yeah, let's check it out. We've got about 15 minutes left, and I know I would love to dive into some code if, if we can get into... Um, yeah, we can. Yeah, so the SDK, the... Yeah identity stuff. Yeah, here's the great thing about it is that there is not a lot of code in here, which is which is which is Even probably better. a good thing. Right? <laughs> most, most of the code that's here is for everything that is not related to Stripe, right? It's for other stuff. So, as an example, let's take a look at the scenario where I'm booking um when I created when I actually booked a place and we saw like that that um hosted UI. Let's take a look at that and see what that looks like. So I believe this one is in listing detail, I believe. And again, we, we're going to skip through a lot of this code that's up here. But the important part is this it? Could you bump up the font size too, Cecil? Sure. I'm going to bump up the font size as well. I just want to make sure that we are in the right place. This is not it. So what I want to do, I'm going to go into, well, so for folks that are curious, so I'm using ASP.NET Razor Pages, so if folks are familiar with that. And then inside of the Razor Pages, I should have, let's check out thing. There we go, this is what I want. And let's make this a little bit bigger. There we go, Ooh, I'll move this okay. to the side so you don't have to see this. Okay, so what happens, right? Whenever you click that checkout, button or that you know that purchase button right and that stripe hosted page how do we go from my website to stripe so one of the main things that we're going to do is so remember i had a and this might be easier if i actually showed you the thing right if i head over to here right when we click this invisible button right remember this button is there right when we click the invisible button what happens is that i'm going to look at this particular 
um, listing. Notice I have an ID at the top. This is not a Stripe ID, by the way. This is a, a Cecil generated ID that I add to all of my products so that I'm not using Stripe IDs or database IDs in the URL. I'm going to use my ID, call like a reference code, I guess, would probably be the best way to use it. I'm going to query my database for that reference code, right? And then using that reference code, I'm going to get the price of that item inside of Stripe, right? Now, products in Stripe can have different prices, right? The reason that that's the case is because I might have the same product, but I have different prices because I either have different SKUs of it. So maybe I have Hanes t-shirts, right? And I have white shirts, I have black shirts, I have gray shirts, I have crew neck shirts, I have v-neck shirts, right? Different SKUs, I might have different prices for those, right? Also, my camera stuff, why is my camera stuff? And then I also might be able to have different colors. I might have different sizes, right? So you might have different prices on the same product for different reasons, you know what I mean? In our case here, and again, I'm jumping back and forth a little bit because I kind of want you to see what it looks like in the actual, um, in the actual thing. Uh, there we go. Product catalog, right? So here are my different subscriptions. See, this one has two prices, right? So this one has two prices because this one has the multi monthly price and the overage price, right? Because these are subscriptions. So again, thinking about how you manage your products, you might have different reasons for having different prices for the same product. So anyway, I, I use the Stripe service. Right? I get the price for that reference code for that product I have. And now what I'm doing is I'm creating a thing here. right? This part here that's important is I'm essentially just creating an object and giving it a bunch of different options. So I'm giving it, well, one, I'm getting the base URL. So mine is just localhost, but yours might be, you know, Brandon and Francois awesome website.com, right? Like whatever that is, right? I get the base URL. I get the customer ID because remember I'm signed in, right? So I get the ID of the customer that's signed in, right? The line items, I only have one line item because it's only a subscription, but if this was not a subscription and I had like, I know it was a shopping cart and I had multiple things in here, this line items is really just a list of things, right? If I click on that, you can see it's just, you know, it's just a list of prices, you know what I mean? Again, I only have one price. Um, I have automatic tax collection turned on. And now here, these two are particularly important. I have my success URL and my cancel URL. So if we successfully completed the checkout, right? If I successfully subscribed, and that doesn't mean it was successfully paid. It just means that we went through the workflow. Like you went through the page and you clicked the button, right? If that actually happened, then it's gonna send you to the success URL. If for whatever reason you never clicked purchase or buy or book, and instead you exited, then it's gonna send you to a different place, right? Again, depending on your workflow, you might want it to just go back to you know, your homepage, or, you know, you might want it to do different things. And then once we do that, we just, you know, we send it to a session service, we call create. And then that session object that gets returned has a URL property. So inside of my, um, my ASP.NET razor pages application, I'm just going to redirect you to that, to that, that place that you wanted to go to. So it's, it looks like a lot of code, but it's really not. Cause all I did here was I created an object a sessions create option, sessions create options object, right? Say that five times fast. And I just I pass it to a service. I'm like, hey, create this thing for me. Create a user checkout session for me, right? It has information about the user, the products, the price, and what to do whenever they successfully complete or they don't complete, and then give me back a URL, right? And then I just redirect the user to the URL. And that's it. And that's all that happens in that space, right? You remember when we check, we used that checkout page, if you recall, um, you know, I went in, I put in my credit card information, I had a subscription, I did all this types of stuff. But then now, you know, if I go back over to Stripe really quick, you know, if I just head over to the portal, right, Stripe is managing all this stuff for me, right? So again, here is the product that we subscribe for. Here's the credit card. I had one in here already, but I just added another one whenever I checked out, right? Like Stripe is managing all that stuff for me. All the thing I needed to do was create the session, give it the information about like the product, the price, and the customer. And I'm like, here, send the user to Stripe and then Stripe deal with this for me. So again, like I said, it's not a tremendous amount of code that we're showing here. But again, I hope that you could see like some of the power of some of the things that kind of exist in this space. Now, not a lot of time, but like a couple, couple of things that I want to mention as we, we kind of talk about this. 
one of the questions we get asked a lot is, hey, if I have my own database and I obviously I'm using Stripe, how do I merge those things together? Like which one is the record of truth, right? If I have user identity, right? In this case, I'm using ASP.NET core identity. How do I map my user identity in my database and my auth system to a customer that's in Stripe? If I have a product database with my own inventory management and all this other stuff, how do I map that to the customers and things of that nature that live in Stripe? And as you could probably imagine here, if I head back over to Stripe dashboard, like that's essentially what we had to do, right? I head over to customers. These are all my customers, but these are also users in my database. Stripe does not do identity management. We do not do username, password, OAuth, sign-ins, or any of the sort, right? So then we still need to figure out a way that we can map users back and forth. Now, one of the ways that I like to do it, right? And I'll show you... Uh, what my identity stuff looks like really quickly. So I'm, again, like I mentioned, I'm using ASP.NET Core Identity. One of the things that I do is I just expand, well, I just extend identity user, right? So by default, like, we have this user object that comes out of the box from ASP.NET. I just extend it with some additional options that, I, that might be useful for me. So now whenever I scaffold out this database, I'll be able to look at some of these different options and I can query them locally. And if I need to make any updates, I could do that as well. So as you can see here, I have my Stripe customer ID. I have my subscription ID, because again, the subscription lives in Stripe. It's not on my machine, right? Um, am I a host or not? So what kind of user am I, right? Am I just a regular customer or am I hosting workspaces? Am I, customer, am I enabled? And I have a thing down here for claims. Now, if we head over and we take a look at the DB context, excuse me, I'll move this to the side a little bit. Right, and so as you can see, again, by default, we get this identity DB context. And whenever this runs, or whenever I scaffold out my database, right, is gonna, you know, it's gonna add my user, right? Notice I just have to put it here as a generic type. But then I also have rentals and I have bookings, right? My bookings are like, hey, how, um, how many people, this is kind of like poor man's scheduling, right? Cause I didn't build out a whole appointment scheduling part of the demo. You can if you wanted to. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying, hey, this customer booked this place on this date for this many hours, right? It's literally like a handful of fields in a database. But now I can query that table. And I can get that information you know, using joins and things of that nature, right? Um, and then here, this is just some you know, model creating things, setting IDs and max lengths and things of that nature. So now what happens when I go and I do the signup, I'm going to show you what the signup page looks like super quick. And then, you know, we could pause for a cause for a little bit. Whenever I sign up an actual user, so you can imagine I had some web UI that this was attached to, right? I'm going to hit post, right? So, you know, when you click the form, you hit the submit button, it's, I need a post handler, going to validate it. What I'm doing now is I'm going to use the Stripe service, right? This comes from Stripe. We use a customer service from Stripe. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to create a user in Stripe, right? So like my user login flow, my user creation or user signup flow does two things, right? It creates a user in Stripe, right? Once that successfully comes back, and as you can see, this is just me doing it here, right? I'm just giving it a name and an email and puts that person in Stripe for me. I create that user in Stripe. This is the user I'm creating in my local database, right? And then I'm using the user manager. Now the user manager is just a type this also comes from ASP.NET identity. Again, I didn't create this, but as you create users or you sign in users, like this is what you want to use. You want to either use the user manager or the sign-in manager. User manager, as you can imagine, is for creating and updating users and sign-in manager is really just for signing in your user. But again, once the user posts back, create the user in Stripe, create the user in the database, I'm going to sign in that user, right? So I'm using the sign-in manager to say sign in that async. I give them the username and is persistent. This means that I'm dropping a persistent cookie into that browser session. And then I redirect you to the homepage and then that's it, right? So, so that's kind of how, this is like my poor man's way of doing it. If you were doing something like um, Auth0 or any third party service, a lot of them have like actions. So there's Auth0 actions or, you know, um, clerk, clerk.dev is another one that they have uh, stuff as well. Right, and you can tie into different events. So say, hey, when the user is created, do this or add this claim or add this property. Right, 
I'm just doing it here in a local database, but you can do the very similar thing as well. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that I'd makes sense. Yeah, I love to do, see, we have Amazon Cognito and we do provide a, an extension for the identity model integrating Cognito. So um, you can use Cognito um, as a replacement for the default identity um, provider. Mm -hmm. So I think we can, we can do this together, uh, Cecil, just to try to uh, map both things and to to the workflow when you create a user, it creates a, a, a user in Stripe and then create a user yeah. incognito and and you don't have to manage any user in your application because users are managed incognito and you don't have to manage uh, bank information because they are managed in Stripe. We we can do this. We could do this. That'd be great because, like I told you, I'm lazy. So the less code that I have to write <laughs> manage, the better. Obviously, I had. I mean, what we're what we're looking at here. I mean, there's there's a lot of lines, but this this is really not a lot of code, right? Like, I call a service, yeah. I set some objects, I set some properties, I call creates, I set equals, and that's it, right? Like, it's not a lot of stuff that's really happening here. So, if I could take this out and put it in Cognito or put it in something else, then that'd be fantastic. Um, the last big thing that I'm going to show you really quickly that's happening is like how I'm managing those events. So I showed you a little bit earlier. Is this it? I made the font size super big, so it looks crazy now. But like this is where <laughs> like, those webhook events were firing, right? And I was using the Stripe CLI to send them locally. Well, when I send them locally, what they're what what's happening is that they're going to a webhooks controller. Um, I know folks like minimal APIs and all that type of stuff. I'm old school. I like controllers. But it, it really doesn't matter, right? I'm going to have some web endpoint that is going to manage the webhook for me. So this is my webhook um, endpoint. This one is just coming back to, so it's going to be the name of the controller, slash API, slash webhooks, because by convention, this is what that little token does. And then slash stripe, slash platform. So now what's going to happen inside of this space? I'm going to open this up a little bit. A couple of things you need to do. So one, obviously, I'm going to read in the body. I'm going to validate that it actually came from Stripe. And the way we do that is with our webhook secret and also looking at this header. When a webhook comes in from Stripe, you're going to get past a header, right? Stripe-signature. And you're going to send it over to this function, right? This function comes in from the Stripe.NET SDK. So again, I didn't write this. But using the webhook secret, using the payload that was in the request body and also that signature that's inside of the header of the request, we're going to kind of put them all together. It's going to validate to say, hey, one, did this come from Stripe? And is it a valid event type, right? Was it messed with or, you know, did someone, you know, was there a man in the middle or anything crazy that happened before it got to you, right? So that happens. And now after that, all we have to do is we, we can, you know, we can kind of go through our switch case statement or whatever functional programming idiom you want to use, right? And kind of look and see what type it is. And then based on the type, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to kick off some workflow, right? Now, my workflow here, I'm looking at the invoice paid event, right? That's so, all. I hate to cut you off. We have less than oh, a minute left. I'm sorry. So, super quick wrap up. Um, obviously, loved it and love that Stripe provides so much code for SDK. But for folks who want to stay tuned, we can have you back on the show. But where can they find you in the meantime? Where, where are you online? I'm so sorry, folks. Um, you can find me at Cecil Phillip, first name, last name, on Twitter, on Mastodon, on Instagram, on all the socials. Um, also, you can look, check us out at Stripe Dev um, on the YouTube channels and on uh, Twitter as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Cecil. We'll have to have you back because this is such cool stuff. And like you said, it makes our developer lives so much easier. I've had to deal with uh, verification and all that Um before and it's, it's such a pain so beautiful to see this but thank you for joining us thanks for tuning in to another episode of the .NET and AWS show we're back here twice a month we have an audio podcast now so don't forget to download the latest version of the podcast subscribe so you never miss an episode and we'll see you next week